Well, it's such a privilege to be able to share with you today. Uh, my name's Brian. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Walnut Hill, and just want to greet those of you who are watching in our campuses in Waterbury with Pastor Craig Mowry, in Derby with Pastor Joshua Maltunis, and in New Milford with Pastor Brian Pru. Uh, greeting to all of you. Greeting to those of you who have found us online. Uh, we're so glad that you're, you're joining in in that capacity. And um, we are starting our second week of a series that we're calling Red Letters. These red letters refer to the words of Jesus. We're going through the Gospel of Luke and looking at different places where Jesus spoke. And you probably remember that we're in a year right now that we're calling Ignite Compassion. And we've been praying this prayer. We started with the start of the prayer was, Lord, transform our hearts. We really wanted to adopt the heart of God for others. And now we've turned the page and we are praying the second part of the prayer, which is, Lord, give us your eyes. And we're asking the Lord to give us his eyes so that we can see others the way that he sees them, but also that we can see the activity of God and join in. You know, we want to be people here at Walnut Hill that when we enter a room, when we enter a space, whether it's our home, our workplace, our school, or just out and about, that we can sense and see the activity of God and enter into what he's doing. And so we thought the best way to learn how to do this is to focus on the source, the one who can teach us, and that's Jesus himself. So we're going through the book of Luke, looking at those places where Jesus spoke, those red-lettered words. And so today we come upon a, a great passage of scripture in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And what I'd like to do is just go right through that passage and pause along the way, stop along the way to provide some teaching. And then at the end, I want to just share a few bits of application for us as we go. But I want to forewarn you of where we're going to end, is that I really sense that today is a day of, of real ministry, a day where the Lord wants to come and, and touch and minister to his people. If we choose to boldly and humbly step out in faith uh, and come to the Lord. I believe the Lord is going to touch us. And so I just want to encourage you now as you're listening to this story from Scripture, as you're listening to this teaching, to be asking uh, if you need a touch from Jesus today. And at the end of these message in our campuses, our campus pastors will come up here in Bethel as well. We're going to provide some space for people to come, almost like you're approaching Jesus, coming to the altar, asking him to touch you. It might mean you just bowing at the altar and worshiping. It might be you coming and asking a prayer servant to pray for you, but I don't want you to miss out on that opportunity. Um, coming to this message, I had this vision of, of, of hundreds of people at the altar throughout our campuses, just, just longing for a touch from Jesus. He's here. He can move. And he can touch us today. So we're looking at Luke chapter 5. And, and what I'm going to do is simply read the passage and stop along the way and, and do some teaching. And then we'll end with some application. And so uh, let, let's start. It starts like this in, in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says this, in one of the villages, and we're going to stop there. <laughs> we're stopping quickly. But this gives me the opportunity to give some context it starts with in one of those villages. So what brings Jesus to these villages? It starts earlier. You might remember last week we talked about how Jesus went to the synagogue in his hometown. 
He's handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to release captives, to bring sight to the blind, and so on and so on. You remember him doing that and sharing that, and then he says, this scripture is fulfilled this very day in him, that he was the one that the, the, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, the Israelites were longing for, waiting for this Messiah. And when he walks into his hometown, he declares that he is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, the one who would deliver his people. If you read that story a little bit further, you learn that Jesus is actually kicked out of his hometown for some of the things that he says. He says, you know, I know that a prophet is not honored in his hometown. And then he, he gets kicked out. From there, he goes to a town called Capernaum. And and in Capernaum, he actually um, he, he releases and he, he casts out a demon from a man. And this causes quite the stir. Many people come and they want to see who this Jesus is. Jesus goes to Simon's house after that in Capernaum. His mother-in-law has a fever. Uh, in today's world, we think we'll just take a Tylenol. But actually, a fever could lead to death in the first century. And so Peter brings Jesus into his home, and Jesus goes to Peter's mother-in-law and heals his mother-in-law. I love that Simon hosts the presence of Jesus in his home, and that brings healing. And then all of a sudden, you see this line of people outside of Simon's door wanting to be healed. They hear these stories of Jesus, how he's going about, and he's, he's casting demons out of people, how he's healing. He's bringing healing to the sick. And so there's this line out the door, and it says in Scripture that Jesus healed every one of them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you hosted the presence of Jesus in your home in that way, that, that people wanted to line up to come into your home to experience an encounter with Jesus? It even says in, in Scripture that Jesus, he cast out demons and the demons came out of people and they made these, this proclamation. They said, this is the Son of God. But, but Jesus closed their mouth and didn't allow them to say anything more. But I want to pause here in this moment and just go back to what I was saying there briefly. Whenever I read this part of the story, I ask myself, am I hosting Jesus in my home in that way? You know, friends, I want all of our homes, our apartments, wherever we live, wherever we reside, to be places where we host the presence of Jesus, where we welcome Jesus in such a tangible way that when people come in, they experience an encounter with Jesus. This is what Simon did. All he did was open his home and invite Jesus into it. And so have you dedicated your home to Jesus? Have you committed your place where you live as a sanctuary for the presence of Jesus? I would ask that you would do that. Even today, go home today and pray with your family, pray with your loved ones, or if you're single, pray by yourself in that home and commit it to be a place where Jesus resides and he encounters his people. And so Jesus, he goes on and, and, and he heals all those people. The next morning, however, he takes some time to be alone. You see this often with Jesus. He goes to solitary places. And so he goes to a solitary place, but people find him there too. And, and, and people come, a whole crowd develops around Jesus asking him to heal them. Now here's an interesting thing is that Jesus says to them, he doesn't heal all those people, but instead he says, you know what? I have to go and continue my ministry sharing the good news throughout the region of Judea. And so he leaves them, which at first case, you look at this and you think, Jesus, why are you leaving 
all these people, all these people who are in need, you leave them. But, but there was a higher priority in that moment. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was strategic about it. And so he knew that he had to go to the next region, to the next town, to proclaim the good news, to usher in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus does that. In Luke chapter 5, which is the chapter that we're in today, just before our passage, Jesus is found at the Sea of Galilee, and he's preaching, and he's teaching. And all of a sudden, another crowd develops around him, and they're pushing up against him, so much so that they back him up into the water. Now he's standing in the lake, and so he gets into a boat, and he preaches from this boat so that the people wouldn't keep pushing on him and pushing him back. After he's done teaching, he gets out of the boat and he speaks to Simon. So he must have known Simon, who would later become Peter. And he speaks to Simon, who had been up all night fishing with no luck. And so Jesus says, hey, Simon, I want you to push out into water again, and I want you to cast your nets, but this time cast your nets on the other side. Now, I love Simon's reaction. He does it. Now, what Simon could have done is said, hey, listen, Jesus, you do the preaching, teaching thing. Leave the fishing to me. I think that's what we do in our life oftentimes, isn't it? You know what, Jesus? Leave my business to myself. I'm, I'm the business person. I know what I'm doing here. You do the Jesus thing. I'll do my business thing. Hey, you do the Jesus thing. I'll do the raising my kids thing. Hey, you do the Jesus thing. I'll do my sports thing. But actually, Jesus wants into every part of our life, and he, he wants us to listen and obey him in everything. He has authority in everything that we do. And I love how Simon listens. And so he goes out, and what do they do? They cast their nets on the other side of the boat, and, and they have this miraculous catch of fish. At that point, Simon comes back along with some of the others, and they bow before Jesus, a proper response. They bow before Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, listen, I want you to drop your nets. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And in that moment, although Simon knew Jesus previously, it was in that moment where Simon and others became the first disciples, the ones who would follow Jesus, who left everything. And then our passage comes into play. Luke chapter 5, verses 12, and then onwards. And it's so interesting that, keep in mind, that this is the first ministry moment that his disciples have with Jesus. They'd seen him around, they'd done that, but this was the first time that they had dropped their nets, they had left everything. Now they're the disciples, and this is the very first thing that Jesus brings them into in their ministry life. And so what happens? As I said, it says, in one of the villages, and then it goes on from there, and it reads this. It says, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. Now we're getting into the heart of the story Jesus has his new disciples, he's going about, and somehow he meets this man who has an advanced case of leprosy. Let's pause here and talk about that. Remember now, Luke is telling us this story, he's writing this story, and Luke was a physician, so he would have known about leprosy very well. And so now he's making a statement about the case that this man had. It, It was an advanced case. His leprosy was severe. Now, let me tell you something about leprosy so that we can understand the significance of this whole story because it's quite dramatic what Jesus does. But we have to understand what was going on here in the first century when it came to leprosy. A few things about leprosy. Today, we would call it Hansen's disease. And this was a disease and and is a disease of the nervous system. A lot of times people think it's a skin disease because it affects the skin skin severely. 
It causes the skin to flake, to even peel off. It, it, it almost makes the body look pretty hideous. It, it's a real disgusting kind of, kind of disease because it attacks the skin. Uh, it um, would attack the hands, uh, feet. It would attack the earlobes and, and the nose and, and often disfigure all of, of your body parts. Oftentimes, even large sections of your skin and body would, would peel off. Oftentimes what would happen too is this, this nerve disease would affect people's limbs and, 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 and twisting their limbs and even their bones. It would affect their hands so greatly that they, they would become claw-like. They wouldn't even be able to, to move them. It was a really horrible disease. Because it was a, a nerve disease, the other thing that would happen is that for these people with leprosy is that they would lose all of their feeling, and so they could no longer feel pain. Now, at first glance, you'd say, wow, that sounds great, but actually it's not good at all. Because what would happen is, is that these folks with leprosy, they wouldn't feel pain, and so, so often things would happen to their hands and their feet because they couldn't react to what was happening. So an example of that would be they might be leaning up against a boiling pot and they would have no idea that they were leaning up against it. They would have no idea that their hand was in danger and then something would fall on their hand and, and so they would lose body parts and it would just become this horrific thing. Now, this disease was not just bad physically, but this disease isolated people. Those with leprosy, they didn't only have to deal with the physical symptoms, but they also had to deal with the, the social implications as well. Because a person with leprosy had to stay at a distance from everybody else. They could attend the synagogue, but they had to be in a containment section. They had to show up first and leave last. So just imagine you're a person with leprosy, and you could see your loved ones, your, your friends, maybe even your family, but you wouldn't be allowed to be near them, held in this containment area. In fact, it was law that a person with leprosy couldn't go within six feet of a healthy person. And so this disease isolated people. And even more than that, it was a sign of disfavor. If you were a person with leprosy, it was viewed that the Lord didn't have favor on your life. In fact, that the Lord saw that you were such a sinner that he imposed this disease upon you and you have fallen out of favor with God. They were seen as spiritually unclean and you weren't allowed to touch a leper and a leper wasn't allowed to touch you because the idea was that if they touched you, not only would they pass on the physical disease, but they would pass on the spiritual disease as well, that you would adopt this disfavor of God. Therefore, the law was really strict against lepers. In fact, in Leviticus 13, it says this, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Friends, I want you to imagine the level of humiliation for a leper. Wherever that person would go, they would have to proclaim, they'd have to declare that they were unclean. Imagine going into public, having to declare that you were unclean, having to declare your condition and your position in the Lord. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. How, how humiliating this was. Not only was this disease a disease of disfavor, 
but it was also a position of hopelessness. See, even the rabbis believed that healing or curing a leper would be as difficult as raising somebody from the dead. In fact, there are only two biblical accounts up to this point of somebody being healed from leprosy. The first is of Miriam, where she was given leprosy for seven days. Why was she given leprosy for seven days? Because uh, she rebelled against the leadership of Moses, but then she was cured. And then the other person was Naaman, who was a general of the army of Aram. And you might remember this story, but Elijah the prophet comes and tells him to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times and he would be healed. Now, Naaman was reluctant to do this, but finally he did it. And when he did, he was healed. But as far as what was recorded in the Bible, it had been 700 years since somebody had been healed from leprosy. In fact, Jesus himself would later say in Luke chapter 7 that the healing of lepers would be the sign of the messianic age. What that means is that it would be the sign of the Messiah coming. John sent two of his disciples to Jesus asking him this question. Hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus answers by saying this in Luke 7. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. And so Jesus is tying this to the messianic age. He's tying this saying, yes, I am the Messiah. Look what's happening. What has not happened for 700 years is happening. Lepers are being healed. All of this to say, friends, to have this disease would leave you in a hopeless position. There is no way out until the Messiah came. The scripture goes on and it says this, when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Now, this part of the story is a beautiful picture. Now, keep in mind, just imagine this man who was supposed to be on the fringes. He approaches Jesus. He breaks the law of the six feet, and he approaches Jesus, and he bows down. I want you to imagine this scene to the best of your ability in your mind. Imagine this scene, because when I imagine this scene, this is what I see. I see bold, humble faith. And I think this is what we're to have, bold, humble faith. This was bold. This man coming out of the shadows who was supposed to remain in the shadows, it was bold. He comes out of the shadows in order to bow at the feet of Jesus. Now, he knew this was a risk because oftentimes lepers, even if they got within 12 feet of people, people would begin to throw stones and, and dirt at them. He knew this was a huge risk. He was putting his life on the line. It was bold. But I think he knew, man, this Jesus, I've heard about this Jesus. He's done some great things. He's, he's healed. I've got to get close to him. It's worth the risk. And I love this. It was bold, but it was also humble. What does this man do first? He, he comes and he kneels prostrate to the ground, his face to the, to the ground, this proper response to who Jesus is. Later, he'll call him Lord placing him in his rightful spot. You are the Lord. He bows down. He doesn't come and demand his healing. He doesn't come and, 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 and tell Jesus, I command you to heal me. And we're not to do that either. No, our position is to come and, and, and humble ourselves and like him say, Lord, if, if you're willing. We don't command Jesus to do anything. He does as he wishes. 
He does his will. But we come boldly before him and in humility we bow down. It reminds me of Christmas time when Jesus is born. He's in the manger and the three wise men come. And what do they do first? They bow down and they worship him. A proper response in the presence of a king. It was bold, it was humble, and it was faith. Uh, This is an amazing picture of faith as this man comes and, and kneels before Jesus, even though the, he risks his life, the man is thinking to himself, I, I, I've heard about this Jesus healing before. He's healed all kinds of diseases. Why couldn't he heal me? And so he steps out in faith and he pleads Jesus to heal him. It's bold. It's humble. It's faith. This passage, it goes on. And the, the man says this, Lord, He said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. A couple things I want to point out here that are interesting. Notice that this man, he requests two things of Jesus. He says, you can heal me and make me clean. You see, this man had this deep understanding because he had been told that he's unclean. He knew that he needed healing physically. I mean, it was clear just from his skin and, and his body he had an advanced case of leprosy. But he knew he didn't just need healing, he needed cleansing too. So what is this man saying here? He's saying, Jesus, would you heal my body, but would you also heal me spiritually? Would you put me in a place of right standing before the Lord? Would you cleanse me of my sin? Would you cleanse me of my past? And this is an amazing moment what Jesus does next. But before we get there, this man in this position of of asking, I, I love here what he's inferring because he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Do you catch that? Do you catch those, those words? This is a position of faith for this man. He, he's not asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you able to clean this? Are you able to, to heal me of this disease? No, he has this assumption that this Jesus is powerful enough to do it. And so his question isn't about ability. It's about willingness. And so this is a moment of faith. Lord, I know you can do it, but will you, will you heal me? and cleanse me. And then Jesus does the most amazing thing. Let's read on. It says this, Jesus reached out and touched him. Wow. Jesus reached out and he touched him. I I would say that I think this is one of the most amazing things that Jesus did. It's it's countercultural. It's, it's changing the culture. It's, it's ushering the, in the kingdom. It's, it's declaring who he is. He, he, he steps out and he, he touches the man. I would imagine at this point there are people looking on at this because, you know, this man had broken all the laws. He's bowing before Jesus. He's way too close to Jesus. I would imagine people gasping at this moment. What's Jesus going to do? What's this great rabbi going to do? And the last thing they thought he would do is reach out and touch him. In this touch, I think Jesus is communicating many things, but let me share just a few of them. First, I think what Jesus is communicating is he's revealing the heart of God. Jesus, in this touch, he's revealing the heart of God, that that God loves all people. Remember, this was a man on on the fringes. This was a man that was cast out of society. This was a man who was no longer a man. He was good as dead. Yet Jesus comes and he he touches him, just declaring, no, 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 no. God hasn't given up on this man. God doesn't give up on on any person. 
No, he has a love for, for all people, no matter who you are. I think the second thing that this touch does is, is that it declares who has the authority. When Jesus reaches out and touches this man, it, it teaches everybody around, it teaches us again that Jesus is the one who's in the position of authority. You know, if you were to touch a leper, it was believed, and there was some truth behind this, that when you touch the leper, the leprosy won. And so there was laws made to not touch the leper. And so now the law became the authority. So in that world, the leprosy had authority and the law had authority. But now Jesus enters and he says, no, 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 no. I'm going to put things back to right. Let me get this straight for you. The Lord has authority. And Jesus, he, he touches the man. And in that touch, what he's saying is, no, I have authority over this. I can heal this. I can overcome this. This is not impossible for me. The third thing that I think that Jesus does in, in this touch is this, is that he corrects misunderstanding. When, when he touches this man, he's correcting misunderstanding. You have to remember that this man was seen as the ultimate sinner, I mean, why else would he be given leprosy? This was their assumption. This was their thinking behind it. This man was cast out. He, he didn't have the approval of God. This was the understanding. So now here Jesus comes, who's the Messiah, God incarnate, and he touches him. In just a moment, we're going to learn he heals him. And what he's declaring is, no, no, there's a misunderstanding here. No, no, no. God hasn't given up on this man. No, this, this man is not too far removed from me. And, and, and even playing into people's belief about his sin, how his sin was so great that he had this leprosy, even though that may not have been true, Jesus plays into this and says, you know what? No, no, no. Actually, it doesn't matter. Even if this man is the greatest sinner on the planet, there's no stain that I can't lift. He's correcting a misunderstanding. You know, whenever we approach Scripture and we listen to the words of Jesus, we need to be ready for Jesus to correct our misunderstanding as well. And this is what he does right here. Jesus reached out and he touched him. And then it goes on. And these are the red letter words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. It says, I am willing, he said, be healed. I am willing, be healed. This request from this man with leprosy, the answer back from Jesus is a resounding yes. I'm willing, be healed. Friends, I want to spend just a few moments talking, talking about healing because I think there's a lot of questions. And when we approach this passage, it just brings it up. There's a lot of questions about healing. And um, the first question that I, I want to answer is this, is, you know, why does Jesus heal? Because I, I believe our Jesus is a healer. He healed here and he, and he heals still today. Why does he do it? Why does the Lord heal? Here's the reason. The Lord always heals in order to point to himself. There's always a greater reason behind his healing than just the physical healing. He, he does it strategically in order to bring glory to himself. So when you look at this healing, you can see a lot of things that Jesus is pointing to that are even greater than the physical healing. He, he's pointing to the fact that he is able to cleanse the deepest of sins. He's pointing to the fact that he has come to save all people. He's pointing to the fact that he has authority over all things. And so in this miracle, in this healing, he's pointing to this, to this greater truth. But some people take this passage and they would say, well, Jesus is willing, therefore he must be willing to heal everything all the time. 
So why doesn't God heal all the time? And does this passage imply that Jesus should heal us all the time? And here's how I would answer that. I would answer it with a yes, and I would answer it with a no. I would answer it with a yes by saying, yes, God is always prepared and willing to heal us and to cleanse, to cleanse us from our sins. He's always willing to cleanse us from our sins. Whenever we turn to the Lord and we confess, he's faithful to forgive all the time. He's also always willing to restore our relationship with him. And even yes, he's oftentimes willing and ready and prepared to heal us physically. But there's also a no in here too. And the no is, is that sometimes we're not healed physically, which then leads us to the question of why. Why doesn't God always heal us physically? And I just felt like I wanted to come and give you an honest answer to that because maybe you've never received an honest answer to that. Why doesn't God heal every time, all the time? And here's the real honest answer to that. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why in every situation. I can tell you this, is that I've prayed for people and they've been healed. And then I've prayed for people and nothing's happened. And, and I don't know exactly why. In fact, I had one story where I prayed for somebody and they came back to me and they said, Pastor Brian, it got worse. <laughs> I don't know why. I just know what our role is and how we need to trust the Lord. I, I do know that we live in a broken world. We live in between Jesus coming the first time and Jesus coming again. And so we live in this war zone of, of trying to defeat the evil one, trying to overcome darkness, bringing light into darkness. And, and oftentimes in this in-between time before Jesus' return, there are some battles that we'll lose. I remember telling you the analogy of how there's never been a championship NBA team that has won every single game all season long. No, they, there's losses along the way, but still in the end, they were champions. And this is a little bit of a mirror of our story as well. As we, 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 we try to defeat darkness and the power of Jesus, there are battles that are lost, but in the end, we know Jesus is victorious. I, I know that. And I know, like this man with leprosy, we're called to boldly approach Jesus. We're called to come before Jesus in humility and we're called to come before Jesus in faith. And so I pray that it would be known of Walnut Hill this, that we are people who boldly came before Jesus. Boldly. That we'd be people who came humbly before Jesus. And that we'd be people who come out of an act of faith before Jesus. That we'd be prepared to pray for things we'd never seen before. But then we'd also be people who trust Jesus with the outcome the last thing that I want to touch on here is this, is that it, it ends like this. It says, and instantly the leprosy disappeared. And friends, when we come back into the story, we learn that when the leprosy disappeared, the isolation disappeared. The lie about the disapproval of God disappeared. The six feet of separation disappeared. And probably most importantly for this man, the myth that God had separated himself from him had disappeared. And Jesus restored this man fully. So what are the takeaways today? What, what does the Lord want us to see in this? Let me just share a couple things. First, I think the Lord wants us to see that all people matter to Jesus. And that all people have a place in the kingdom of God. And then I wonder as we think about that, I wonder who is God calling you to minister to? 
Who is God opening your eyes to right now? And maybe it's somebody who you thought was unlikely. Maybe it's somebody who's out on the fringes. But we need to know and we need to see this truth, that God has a heart for all people. The second thing I think is important for us to see in this is that Jesus is the authority. He's the authority. He's the one that we obey and we live for. The third thing I think we should see here is that Jesus is the answer. I love that this man, he saw Jesus and he knew, man, if I could just get close to Jesus, he's the answer. He's the answer to my problem. He's the answer to my issue. And this man let Jesus into his life in this moment, in the the deepest, most difficult part of his life. And I think we need to see, friends, that in, in every aspect of life, Jesus is the one that we should be walking close with. And finally, what I really want us to walk away with today is this. I want us to walk away approaching Jesus with boldness, with humility, and with faith. I wonder, friends, do you need a touch from Jesus? Will you boldly come before him? Will you humbly come before him? In an act of faith, will you come to him and ask, are you willing? Will you cleanse me? Will you heal me? In just a moment, I'm going to hand it off to the campus pastors in your locations. They're going to lead a a time of of prayer. And I pray that many would come forward today boldly, humbly, as an act of faith, ready for Jesus to come and touch them. And I, I just want to also invite you next week, we're going to be talking about how there were some friends who brought their friend to Jesus. They lowered him through the ceiling on a mat. And, uh, and Jesus healed this man because of their friend's faith. And I wanted to challenge you in this moment to think about some friends that you might invite to church next Sunday. Well, who does the Lord want you to invite, to bring? You don't have to lower them through the ceiling. We'll open the doors. You don't have to do that. But bring them. What could your act of faith in inviting somebody lead to? Well, friends, I pray that this message has been helpful. I hope that it's been challenging. I hope that it's been transformative. I hope that it's recalled in us boldness, humility, and faith to step out, ready to ask the Lord for a miracle. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.